0: Ready? Let's go. How are y'all doing? When I was uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, I was uh, a youth minister. And it was a youth minister at a wealthy church, and so we did expensive trips. And that's kind of what you do when you're uh, a youth minister at a wealthy church. And we went to Colorado every summer to do this kind of Noah's Ark thing, you know, whitewater rafting and rappelling. And over a two-day period, we do this uh, peak climb up to 12,000 or 13,000 feet which drove our students just right to the edge of what they could do. It just pushed them to their limits. And one year, it seemed to push them beyond their limits. We had a girl with us, uh, her name was Karen Whitwer, And Karen, uh, you know, she kind of ignored all the advice about altitude sickness and all that good stuff. And uh, as the guides kept pushing us, and the guides were, they were pushy. They knew, I mean, these guys climbed this peak every other day all summer, Right and they knew what it took to get there and they knew the time frames and uh and they were pretty careful but they just kept pushing and and at one point Karen utterly melted down I actually Facebooked her about this today this week it's like what happened she goes I don't know I just melted down and so she's like five one and this you know, guys like six three and it's hilarious. She just turns around. He goes, All right, keep going, keep going. And she finally turns around and goes, You listen! I'm paying you. You're not paying me. You not tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. And uh and he goes, Karen, look around you. You've made it. You just don't know it. You've already made it. You just don't know it. And she looked around and there was this big rock outcropping. And out on, the, on top of the rock were all her friends taking pictures. And she was so overwhelmed by how hard the journey had been. And overwhelmed by this idea that she had to keep going that she missed the fact that she was practically there. Uh, today what we're going to study together is constancy. Being uh, endurance, add to, your, uh, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, add to your knowledge consistency. Nobody's chuckling. I find that funny. Y'all know this is not my forte. I, I'm not ever going to preach to you a sermon on, you know, not quitting, because as you all know, I am a quitter. I, the list of things that I have quit is very long. Uh, pretty much every diet I've ever tried, every devotional habit I've ever tried, every um, new exercise that I've ever tried. I'm a very, very experienced quitter. Uh, never, ever engaged me with any, um, in any online games like Scrabble or chess. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, I cheat because it's easier. <laughs> Quitting is easy. And you may be thinking, why in the world would I want to learn about endurance from a quitter? Because for some reason, I am still a Christian. For some reason, after 52 years, 48 of which I believe that Jesus has loved me, for some reason, after 30 years of being an ordained minister, I'm still here. And if anyone who is as good at quitting as I am, has done something for that long, you've got something to learn from me. Now, let me tell you something. Most people, when they teach this kind of sermon, the title would be something like, Never Stop Never Stopping. That sounds good. I like Never Stop Never Stopping. I wouldn't know how that feels, but it sounds good. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to be consistent, If you want to add to your faith endurance, if you want to make it in the long run that is a lot longer than you think, never stop restarting. Never stop restarting. Never get disappointed and discouraged because you have stopped. You're going to. But just never stop restarting. God is always here to welcome you back. He's always here to welcome you back. This table will be set for you every Sunday. So just never stop restarting. Never stop coming home. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how Christianity is a long, is a long, uh, what is it? (laughs) What does it say there in the title? I can't even remember. It's a long obedience in the same direction. The long obedience in the same direction is a book by Eugene Peterson about discipleship that I've never finished. See, I'm a quitter. But we're going to learn about how Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. We're going to talk about why it's so hard, why we have to go on so long. And finally, we're going to learn about how our uh, completion is assured. Uh, finishing it, the race is assured for you. Uh, Before we do that, let's read uh, the text together. Please stand as we read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Thus far, the reading of God's Word all men are like grass, all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. Thursday night, I was eating chicken and a tooth fell onto my plate. The grass withers. And the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. Never stop restarting. Never stop restarting. Christianity is a long process and growth, just like anything valuable in the world really, comes over time. Comes over a long period of time. God is growing oaks of righteousness. Uh, that's, that's where we get the name of our church from, actually. Uh, those of you who are here remember that we named our church when I was on sabbatical. And I was on sabbatical praying for our church. And, and we were at that time Redeemer Presbyterian, but we were moving across from Redeemer Covenant. And that seemed like a rude thing to do, have two Redeemers on the, each side of the street. And so since they were here first, we had to change our names. And, and I began meditating and meditating on Isaiah 61. That... Uh, God is planting us as oaks of righteousness. And, and I like that. We already had the river of life in our, in our theme sermon and in our logos. So we combined the two so that we would be river oaks, the, the oaks of righteousness that are planted alongside this river of life. And guys, oaks are impressive things. They are beautiful and strong things. Eventually. Eventually. You know, if it, when it's just this big, when it's a year, two years old, you know, this big, they're not that impressive. You can run over them with your car. You can run over them with your body. And, and you, we talked before about how oak trees destroy sidewalks. They're able to pick up huge pieces of lumber, of, 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 sorry, marble or cement eventually. I mean, can you imagine, you know, bringing a little sapling to life and saying, lift this sidewalk? It would be ridiculous eventually. Consistency over time. And that's what God is doing with us. He's calling us to to be patient and to wait. He he wants us to do basically what these trees do. What do the trees do? They receive the water. They receive the light. Their roots grow down into the nourishment. And And Martin Luther says we are at that passive when it comes to grace. We receive it. We receive God's grace. We receive it just like the soil receives the water. Come back here. where the You are smarter than an oak tree. You can come to where the water is, right? And then come back here week after week and receive that living water. Eat this meal week after week and, and feed your soul, nourish your soul on the bread of Christ, the bread of life. Come week after week and and receive the light of God that is uh, the true light of the world. And wait, you know, after time what happens? The trees grow 10, 15, 20 years. Then what happens? If you drive a car into that, it's going to stop you cold. It'll wrap your car, wrap around that thing like a bow tie. Because God's made it strong, eventually. We don't like that. I especially don't like that. We think that things that take a long time are worthless. I grew up being conditioned. I think everybody who grew up in the 80s grew up being conditioned that things that took a long time were worthless. And I'll tell you how we found that out. Um, If you watched daytime TV during the 80s, which I did a lot of, and you saw a lot of these cheap infomercials, you know, Gensu knives and Wonder Whisks and the little spinny thing that's supposed to cut your potatoes and grate your cheese. And uh, I bought one of each of those. And... What, the, the two things that you notice were this. One, they took forever to get here. Four to six weeks for delivery. Six to eight weeks for delivery. That's hard for you to imagine these days, right? You could order something on your phone right now, and it'd probably be home before you would be. But back then, it took forever. Y'all remember that, don't you? Four to six weeks for delivery. That was standard. Uh, I thought it was 46 weeks, it seemed like. By the time those things came in the mail, you'd forgotten you ordered them. And then it would come in the mail, and you would open it up, and it was so much smaller than it looked on TV. It was a little bitty. And you, you would start to work, it and it would break. And in our minds, somewhere deep in our hearts, got this idea that things that took a long time were worthless. Uh, but that's not true not true if you want to build great furniture it takes a while if you want to build something beautiful it takes a while and God takes his time we may not like that but he takes his time he waited 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus he knew he made a promise he was going to get around to keeping it he was waiting until everything was just right until as, as Paul says in Galatians the fullness of time had come he waits decades to to grow his, his trees. He, he takes his time. He waits centuries to grow redwoods. He's taking his time. He's, he's waiting for millennia to transform the world. Every, every nation, every every area, every people of God who've been people of God for long enough to see kind of a rise and fall of their own area, whether it be Rome or Europe or, or America, we, we tend to think that all the Christian world is surrounded around us, and so when there's a little bit of a decline, we get all nervous and scared, but you've got to understand. God is redeeming the world. One day, we will all sing together. The nations of this world have become the nations of our God and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And He's not going to rush the end until that day comes. So... Sit down and relax and never stop restarting. And it means that you we spend a lifetime, a lifetime of becoming. So breathe deep. Be, be content for it to make, take a lifetime of becoming. Um, I think that my favorite illustration of this comes from Marjorie Williams in The Velveteen Rabbit. Um, Man, I wish I still had kids so I could read this story more often. Those of you who don't know, just go buy the book. I'm not going to explain it to you. It's just too good. You need to read it. Um, But it's about a little bunny who wants to be real. And she said, ask the skin horse one day who's old and shabby. What is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick out handle? Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's the thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That is why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand takes a long time God is loving you into realness he doesn't wave a magic wand and make you instantly perfectly holy he takes his time he works through you and he loves you into reality into his image for you and a lot of times you get so overwhelmed and so discouraged that you forget how much he's done already I wish you could see yourselves from my perspective sometimes. I remember a few years ago I had one of you come into my office crying and we were talking about life and made the comment, but I thought becoming a Christian made life better. It does. It just takes a while. And you've grown so much since that day. And you're so much more mature since that day. And I've gotten to watch it. And you're like Karen. You're just kind of sitting there crying going, I can't go another step. And It's my job to say, you're a lot closer than you think. Just, just a few more. Just never stop restarting. It's consistency over time, but, but it's hard. Why is it hard? Why is it hard? It's hard because of the depth of our sickness. It, it's hard because our sin goes a lot further than we think when the bible takes the time to describe what we're like before we come to christ it says things like every thought of man's heart is only evil all the time it says things like there there is no one who good does good everything that we touch is wicked it says things like we're dead in, transpa- in transgressions and sins and, and and it takes a while to get that out if you want to cleanse that kind of thing it takes a while and you have to get it all out. You can't leave any of it. You've got to get every speck of it out. It's like, uh, it's like cleaning up sewage. If you, if you use just leave just the slightest bit, the stench is still going to be there. You've probably never cleaned up sewage, have you? One, uh, one Sunday before church, I was over at my office and doing the things I normally do in the office before church and, and I flushed the commode and the water just sat there. And you know what you do when the water just sits there, right? You go get a plunger, and you start plunging. You start plunging. And I kept pushing harder, and the water kept coming right back up, and I pushed harder, and the water would come right back up. And I didn't know this at the time, but uh, our church is on a septic system. And so all the commodes were connected, and the septic tank was full. It wasn't receiving anything. What I also didn't know was that in the shed next door, they had tried to install bathrooms at one point, but uh, because the city wouldn't give them the the necessary certificates, they just abandoned that attempt. And so where there were supposed to be commodes, there were just holes in the floor. And every time I pushed, squirts were just coming out of those holes. And we found out two days later, we didn't even know to go look. We found out two days later, there was an inch of sewage in that shed. And we didn't clean it up. All right, we called somebody, service master sent someone with a hazmat suit. I mean, it's just a weird feeling to kind of look out your office window and seeing this guy in all white, in a hood, you know, a, a tank to breathe out of. And he had to get every, I mean, every single thing in the shed had to be taken out and sanitized because it had the smell of death all over it. And it took a long time. And you have the smell of death all over you before you come to Christ. And it, it takes a long time for him to thoroughly cleanse you. It, it takes a long time because of the depth of our sickness. It takes a long time because the, the beauty of what God is building. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis and Marianne Williamson both use the illustration of kind of being a, being a house, right? And we've invited Jesus into the house, and He's going to make it better. And it's awesome those first few weeks, right? He clean, he mops the floors for us, and he kind of rearranges the drapes and he makes everything in it. I said the word drapes; that's funny. Um, he re- makes everything in it just look a little bit better. And you're thinking to yourself, "Man, life is good now that Jesus is my roommate." And then one day you're sleeping in your bed when a wrecking ball slams into the side of the house. And you're shaking out of bed and you're saying, what are you doing to my life? We were finished. And he goes, oh, we hadn't even started. You wanted a a little cottage? I'm ripping this ball down. I'm going to build a wing. I'm ripping this ball down. I'm going to build a wing. I'm going to tear this thing down to the studs. And I'm going to turn you into a beautiful castle that is worthy of my Father living in you. I'm doing so much more in you than you would ever expect. Do you believe that? You know, the the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, um, we will judge angels one day. What in the world does that mean? Why do angels need to be judged? I don't know, but it's going to be cool. And we're going to do it. And that's fascinating but that's the kind of being the kind of wisdom the kind of grace that the lord is filling you with and preparing you for And it's going to take a while it takes a long time it takes a long time because of the depth of our sin it takes a long time because of the beauty of what he's building and it takes a long time because we're part of the greater good god is not just working on us uh, that text everybody loves to, to memorize right Uh, God works all things according to his will for the good of those who love him. Have you ever noticed that all the pronouns in that passage, that entire passage, are all plural? may not be good for you. There are some of you that I honestly think have been sanctified enough. Like you've gone through enough. And I want to ask the Lord, hey, don't you think she needs a break? I feel like she's gone. She's good enough. She's my role model. And the Lord says, well, Ricky, that's because you don't know what you're doing. And I'm using her to sanctify you. I'm like, oh, yeah. See how you said she was your role model? Yes. Well, that's why I'm doing this, to show you what grace under suffering looks like. I'm doing more than, than just working on her. I'm working on everyone around her. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says uh, in 2 Corinthians 1 to comfort others with the comfort that we've received. That when God is working in one of us, he's working in all of us. And he's he's making all of us better by the work he's doing. Um, That's why my wife encouraged me to write a blog last year. She said, you need to write about your depression. I said, why? I think I've thought about it enough. And she said, there are other people going through it. There are other people going through it. My only thought was, well, if anybody gets anything good out of this two years of pitch darkness, let them try. And you know, it was a good therapy for me. But God is, is sanctifying the entire church and the entire world through through what He's doing in us. And it, sometimes that feels overwhelming. But what keeps us from being overwhelmed in that? The reason why we are assured of completion. Is because Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He's, he's already made sure it's happening in his body. He's already crucified the flesh. In his spirit, he has already healed our broken hearts. Everything that's necessary has been provided for. It was provided on that cross. When he said it is finished, he didn't mean, all right, I've done my part, you do your part. He said it's finished. The work is done. The heavy lifting is over. And that's important for you to understand when you read these texts, like this text in Hebrews, right? It kind of sounds like if you're not, if you're not paying attention, if you're not taking a, a full biblical point of view on this text, then it almost sounds like he's trying to shame you, doesn't it? Jesus worked harder than you. Look what he did. And you're wanting to stop? I don't think that's how the Bible talks to us usually. And by I don't think, I mean I absolutely know that's not how the Bible talks to us. He doesn't use Jesus to shame you. Jesus came to take away your shame. He doesn't use Jesus to guilt you. Jesus was crucified to take away your guilt. And this is our motivation. It's not that, it's not that Jesus did it so we don't have to do it. And it's not that Jesus did it so we need to copy him and do it as well. It's that Jesus has borne the penalty for our sin so that you can do it. And his spirit has come inside you so that you can follow him. And you can walk. And you can continue. So continue. Your assurance is, is secured. He's, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you were bought with a price. He has spent too much on his investment. He's not going to let you go. And he says throughout the New Testament, you were adopted as sons. This text in Hebrews, you know, when when God disciplines you, it's the sign that you are sons. You are his. I love adoption so much. It's it's all over the place in our church, and it's it's beautiful. It's in my own family, and it's beautiful. And one of the things I love about adoption is this. In the ancient Romans, when you adopted someone, oftentimes when a man didn't have a, a child or specifically a male child in that, patriarchal society, he would adopt his servant in um, and that, and that way the servant will keep the inheritance kind of quote unquote in the family but the beautiful thing was that in that time all the way up until now in God's providence this has been a law for as long as we have known that laws exist that once you adopt a child, an adopted child cannot be disinherited you can abandon your own children, I've threatened it But you cannot abandon an adopted child. It was permanent then and it's permanent now and I think that's an important reason why the Apostle Paul kept using the word, you've been adopted. You've been given the spirit of sonship. He is never going to abandon you. You can't abandon that. Just keep coming back. Your Father is here to welcome you. Keep coming back. Your Father is here to welcome you. He is he who has saved you is greater than all, Jesus says, and, and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. And, and that's in John 10, and in John, that, that passage in John, John 10. Uh, Bible interpreters have argued about it for years and years. What does Jesus mean when he says greater than all? Because it's, it's weird, we can't figure out what the subject is. And some interpreters say it means that God is greater than all. No one is strong enough to snatch snatch us from his hand. And others say, no, it means that the gift that God has given to Jesus is greater than all. And because of the value of the gift, that's you. Because of the value of the gift, no one's going to snatch you from his father's hands. And I like that kind of stuff because both are true. Both are true. And what God is making in you is beautiful And we're preparing you for our appearance before God. And no one is going to stop that work. The completion is assured because of how much He has spent, because of our adoption, because He is greater than all, because in His eyes we are the pearl of great price that He gave everything He had for. We can be assured. My old friend Boo Ferris died. Y'all have heard me talk about Boo a few times. Boo was a uh, pitcher for the Boston Red Sox in his prime. And um, he pitched on the same team that Ted Williams. We- Everybody knows Ted. Nobody knows Boo. But uh, Ted Williams was, was on the team. And they went to the World Series. He pitched in the seventh game of the World Series. It was damn Usual, and the Cardinals beat him. And uh, he would tell me stories about when he was a boy coming up. He lived on the, the far west side of the state, against, near the river, and he went to Mississippi State, and he had to hitchhike. That's the only way they got around back then. He would tell me about, you know, walking through down Highway 82, and when you got to the intersections with 49 or with 51, you'd build fires. You would sit there and wait for a ride, and you'd build a fire, and whoever was the last one there, if you got in the car or truck, you'd put all the wood you could find on that fire so it would still be burning when the next hitchhiker came. And I just thought about him. like, can you imagine walking up to him on a, on a rainy, cold winter day? Boo, in his, in his trophy room, had a, kept a, a baseball weekly. It ended up becoming the sporting news. We call it the sporting news now. But he was on the cover. And they called it the Ferris wheel because he had beaten every team in the American League that summer. And so it was his face and his arm was a Ferris wheel and every team was getting a ride on it. On some cold, rainy day in winter when he's trying to get to Starkville, don't you wish you could have carried that newspaper with you and took it to him and said, this is going to be you. You're miserable, you're cold, you're wondering if it's worth it. But one day soon, buddy, you're going to be the best in the world. Don't give up. Don't stop restarting. And that's my job for you. That's why we study books like Revelation. That's why I tell you about glorification. That's why I want to encourage you with these pictures of Jesus wiping every tear from your eyes. And and when Jesus appears, you will be like him, full of glory. That's going to be you. No one can stand in the way of that. That's your sporting news. That day is coming. It's not that far off. And all you have to do to get there... Is don't stop restarting. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, we do get tired and we get discouraged and we want to quit. But we pray that you give us the grace to never stop and to follow you and to keep on coming back. And Father, for those who are discouraged today and just wonder why, why it keeps on, I pray they would remember their sonship, remember that you will never abandon or forsake them. In Jesus' name, amen.